Good morning. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, The Blue Sword by Robin McKinley. I feel like it should have its own theme or something, like swelling music. Or, yeah. Background <laughs> rising up. Hey, when you when you listen to this, just when we say that, just start the first oblivion track. <laughs> da, 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 this episode comes with instructions. <laughs> so the blue sword is the I don't want to call it the sequel. I'll, instead, I'll say Hero and the Crown is the prequel to The yeah, Blue Sword. But because the, the Blue Sword was written first. The Blue Sword was written in 1982, released in 1982, and The Hero and the Crown it's was older than both of us in 1985. We have an episode on The Hero and the Crown. If you would like to check that out, you can find it on your favorite podcast provider or our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. We do thoroughly spoil every book we cover. Just a warning for those who haven't read the book in a while or not at all and would like to go visit it first. Go do that. To begin, let's start with a discussion of how the publisher chose to package and promote this novel by taking a look at the handsome Seattle Public Library edition that we read for this episode because my copy is lost to the wilds. Lost to time. I very much enjoy this edition. Although the lettering is a little sci-fi. It is a bit confusing and it looks like she could be, like Harry could be riding on an alien planet. It looks a little doony. It does look quite (laughs) doony now that you mention it. I do, like I like this because it feels so like official and intense and epic which is appropriate um the color scheme just from an aesthetic perspective is also really beautiful mm-hmm. it's all blues and oranges yeah which are probably my favorite complimentary color pairing and i really like what's your favorite complimentary <laughs> color pairing we want to know <laughs> And I really like the um, stylized line work of the yeah. rocks. Yeah, it's it, there's this Harry's really cool like valley made up of these rock formations, and then in the middle, Harry is riding. Um, I, I assume it's Harry. We can't see her, but I think it's Harry, and like covered in white robes. Um, it's very good high fantasy cover art, yeah. and it's cool that it features a woman in a scene that you would very often see a man mm-hmm. as a part yeah. of. Yeah, which is a common theme of this It's a book. painting by whom, Madeline? This is a painting by David McCall Johnston. Yeah, it's, it's a cool book. Cover. <laughs> I don't know if it communicates its YA-ness very well. Well, there is a big old Newberry Honor sticker on that it. That is important <laughs> to mention. You know how we feel about the noobs. And this is a Newberry nominated yeah. book. Hero in the Crown won the Newberry. Okay. Well, and I know we haven't been reading the back covers, but this back cover is pretty funny because it's giant words and they're, they're the only things on it. It just says, Robin McKinley. Knows her geography of fantasy, the nuances of the language, the atmosphere of magic. Ellipses, the Washington Post. Don't you think that's a strange giant quote? Yeah, it's really weird. It's really weird, which is why I I kind of love it. (laughs) Like, stayed an academic feeling. Yeah. And it does not get me excited about this truly very exciting book. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's a pretty funny choice. So uh, there's both, like, this cover is really funny, but I also really like it. So. Great. Take that what you will. So it's my turn to do the plot summary. So here we go. I'm really excited about that. I just reread the first 50 pages of the book after finishing it because I needed help. I I just looked at the first sentence and I forgot that it is. (coughs) She scowled at her glass of orange juice, which is really, (laughs) really great. It's really great. I've, I spent a lot of mornings that way when I was a... Uh, it's true to Madeline, for sure. A, a younger <laughs> one. Going at your orange juice. This book is about a young woman of undetermined age. I think she's about 20. Oh, okay. Uh, what, what did you think? Well, I mean, in the beginning, you think she's a bit younger, and then by 
I don't know. It's hard because it's there's in a lot a, of. I, I think the biggest teller that she is not a teenager anymore is that there's a lot of talk about how it's been realized by everyone in her family that she's not going to marry. Oh, okay. Because if she was still a teen, they wouldn't then, be yeah, talking that that's way. That's a good point. Um, although that is sort of used to characterize her because they say that she is too proud to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a good point. So Harry has moved to a city called Istan, which is a border city between the land that a group of people known to themselves as homelanders have conquered and colonized. On the other side of the border city lay the mountains and the desert, which is where the native people of the land, the hill folk, Mm -hmm. have continued to live. That's where they've been driven back to by their colonizers, which we will talk about. Um, Harry moves to Istanbul because her parents are both dead and her brother is there in the military and he has kind of worked out with Sir Charles, the, I don't know, the big boss of the city of the military hold. Yeah, he's um, in charge. That his sister can come and live with him because she has no fortune. She is unmarried and plans to stay that way. She's just kind of chilling. And she's just hanging out. Well, yeah. we, we don't know much about what Harry's life was like prior to the events of this yeah. book. Probably not very fun. Sounded bad. Yeah. Harry is, uh, has been living there for a, a little while, and there are rumors of unrest to the north mm-hmm. with the group of people who live there who are known as the Northerners. And there's some kind of... They're not human. There's some kind of Garth Nix style force yeah. that's amassing yeah. made of uh, magic beings that are like kind of wrong. Yeah. It felt to me like they were some kind of zombie force. Right. Like they feel wrong. It's not just mm-hmm. like an evil opposing army. Like something is bad with them. Yeah, not good. <laughs> yeah. And to help address this, the king of the hill folk, Korlath, rides to Istan to talk with Sir Charles and try to discuss the two of them joining forces and addressing this head on. Mm-hmm. The talk goes badly because Sir Charles essentially says, we won't help you unless we can have complete control over all forces and we will be the generals and you're just going to be answering to us. Like you lose yeah, so any Sir agency. Charles is just like, no, I'm... Blah, 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 blah. It's, it's it's very yeah. Never mind. We'll talk about that. In a second. <laughs> um, as Corlath and his fellow riders are leaving, he and Harry see one another, and something very intense happens There's between a spark. the two of them. Um, but like a very uncomfortable spark that yeah. feels like you're on fire and your head is exploding. <laughs> That and, kind of spark. You know, we've I all mean, been there. I mean, that's that's how I felt when I used, like, when I was first spending time around Nick. Like, you know, your tongue swells up in your mouth and you're just like... Everyone looks tiny. Gleeb. You feel like the sun is going to drive through your eyes. Yeah, I feel that way often. Korlath feels this as well. And that night he decides that he and his riders are going to take Harry with them back to... Uh, their city because the like magic tells him he has that he the, should the Kalar Kalar which Kalar. is addressed not at great length in this book we don't no. learn too much about it we learn more in the hero and the crown mm-hmm. um, but it is essentially the natural magical gift that some folks have yeah. of the hill people yeah and Corlys Kalar tells him that he should bring Harry with him and that she will be connected to this coming conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they kidnap Harry. She travels with them. Uh, He makes it, Corlath makes it very clear from the start that she is a um, prisoner of honor and she is treated prisoner, a guest prisoner of honor. And she's treated with the utmost respect as their travels go on and they ride and ride and ride for, I didn't realize this till later, but for months. Yeah. Because it's six months later when she takes the trials, I think is is the point at which that happens. Oh, okay. Um there's there's a there's a moment when she says she's been with them for six months. So they get very far away. 
so they're riding and riding and riding. And along the way, Harry starts to not only learn from the other riders about the hill folk and about their culture, but something within her is awakening. Yeah. And she realizes that, hey, she has a preternatural ability to speak their language and to just understand these deeper things about their customs mm-hmm. and their stories mm-hmm. and back 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 lore folklore back lore, back lore. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of suspicious to her she's like hmm seems like this was within me she had always felt like an outsider with the outlanders which is what the hell folk call the homelanders which is very interesting and makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. because they are the colonizers yeah of stolen land and Harry ends up learning how to ride and how to fight. She has a teacher named Mathen, who is one of the writers who helps her with the language and helps her just learn how to become a writer and a warrior. Mm-hmm. She takes the Lapran trials with other young Hill men and women. Yeah. And she is the... Number one Top Gun Number of the one. trials. She defeats everyone and ultimately fights Korlath and is defeated by him. But everyone's like, he's the king. It makes yeah. sense. You did, <laughs> you did great. <laughs> and people started talking about how, hey, they had this past lady hero, Lady Aaron, and it would actually be really good for everyone to have another lady hero. And they, mm-hmm. ca- they start calling her Harimad Soul, which means hairy hero. Mm-hmm. And she becomes a rising force within this group of people and then it's time to figure out what's going on with the northerners and it's time to attack their incredible huge army that is trying to force its way through the mountains and harry keeps trying to suggest that they connect with jack dedham the general at istan and her friend Mm -hmm. and try to talk to him about what's going on try to make some kind of communication even though it didn't go well with sir charles yeah and corlath is angry and says no so harry decides that she is going to run away and she is going to try to communicate with jack yeah because she's like okay the man in charge is making a bad decision for everyone i'm gonna just make my own decision it's very much uh (laughs) what does bilbo say is it 15 against 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> this is madness. Situation. Um, they really don't have enough folks to try to make any difference and have anything happen other than just mass slaughter. Yeah. So she convinces Jack to join her along the way. She also unites with another group of mysterious people who are the archers who live in the forest, the Kentar. Is that that's what they're called, right? I think so, yeah, Kentar. And they're um, female leader, and she has another young um, hill... What's the correct term? It's not like a hill person? Hill... Hill folk. Yeah, but I can't say another young hill folk, because folk is plural. Yeah, I know that, but that's what I would do. Another young member of the hill folk who is a... another woman and she starts to feel connected and like she isn't just the only like lonely lady out there. I really appreciated that. Yeah. that there were a lot of female warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was cool. And they decide to go to the pass that she thinks strategically they should try to pick off some of the Northern army from because it's very limited and narrow strong and defensible only a few point. can come through at a time so it's a good way for them to, them to try to make a dent in these forces they fight it's not going well they i mean they manage to kill some of them but they realize oh my god this there's is so just, many of them we're so outnumbered there's no way that anything could possibly happen yeah so harry goes up to the mountaintop and brings down an avalanche and she brings down the mountain, <laughs> brings down the mountain and kills them all, including Thura, 
the evil magician who has brought the forces together. Evil magician. He is an evil magician. <laughs> a know, necromancer. A I mean, <laughs> necromancer sounds a lot more frightening. But they never call him a necromancer. I know. They call him a magician, I know. which I think is really funny because the way that magic is viewed in this book is very interesting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And depending on the person you're talking to has its own morality attached to it. Um, so we'll talk more about that. But she kills them all and she's like, oh my God. As she's calling down the lightning to do so, she feels she's calling out to Korlath and he was connected to and they use their magic together to do this. She goes back to see him and she's feeling so ashamed because she's like, I defected. You have to... I deserted. I deserted. You're going to have to, you know, cast me out, I'm Mm -hmm. sure. And instead he's wearing her broken sash that she left behind and he's like... I don't know if you know this, but it's custom for us that if I'm wearing your sash, it means I want to marry you. So do you want to marry me? <laughs> FYI. <laughs> and she says, yes, I do. And they're in love. And it's a very happy ending. Everyone. Like spectacularly so. Her brother and Jack, who came with her from the uh, crumpy brother, <laughs> Richard. Um, Dickie. Dickie, <laughs> who have come with her from Istan and have left their own outlander forces are like, can we be a part of your culture too? Like we want to side with you. We don't want to be colonizers anymore. We don't want to do that. And Korlath is like, yeah, let's do it. We're all in this together. And because of this changing sort of shifting lines of alliance, this allows them to, bring the different kind of stratified groups together and also just kind of circumvent the outlanders and be like, okay, we're going to figure stuff out Mm -hmm. on our own and we don't need their help. And we're actually going to kind of to some extent pretend they don't exist, but there is some goodwill that comes between them. Like some Demarians come and are invited to the city and things like that. Mm -hmm. And overall tensions um, are reduced and the Northerners are all dealt with. Yeah. So, um, the much, much, much happier ending that Aaron did not. Oh, and Luth is in it. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Aaron's not happy ending. Yeah. Luth is there too. They go and see him and he's like, I'm lonely and sad. (laughs) I'm so old. (laughs) See everything. I don't know how many potatoes to make for you. Luth is so funny. I love Luth so much. Uh, He's one of my just all-time favorite fantasy characters. He's so weird. Yeah. And there's such a good line in the book when Harry's like, who is Luth? And (laughs) Mathen pauses for a while and then is like, well. I don't know. No one really knows. (laughs) He lives in the mountains and we don't really know what he does he's there. The, he's the like weird wise old hermit that but he's also young because he's eternal. Right, right. But he's still old. He I looks know, but young. But he's like a wise golden curly haired tall man who just sits alone. I mean he has his visitors as he says but he can hear everyone's thoughts so he can't be with people but we know that he's experienced love and Aaron is long dead and gone so it's just a uh, for more on our feelings about Luth, listen right here in the Crown episode. Yeah. I don't know why we're starting a discussion with Luth. <laughs> I know why. It's, yeah. Um, so I think that that's, that's all the plot we need to discuss mm-hmm. for now. Old and new impressions. Let's do those before we unravel any further. So, Madeline. I have not read this book <laughs> before. I read it for this episode. <laughs> um, and remind me, had you read Hero in the Crown when yes. you were young? Okay. Yes, I had. Um, and I knew that there was a book called The Blue Sword, but when I looked into it and found out that it wasn't a sequel, it was a prequel and Aaron wasn't in it, then I didn't, because I, I was in my... Well, it is a sequel. Okay, that that Hero in the Crown is a prequel and then Blue Sword is a sequel that happens way later and Aaron's not in it. That's what I meant. Um and I didn't end up reading it because I was in my having read Hero in the Crown first time, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> How come she doesn't get to do what she wants? Mm-hmm. She saves everyone and then just has to marry her cousin. <laughs> <laughs> 
whom she loves. I, I know, mean, I know, it's not that bad. But, but I just remember being really bummed because I was like, hmm, go spend your life with this weird, handsome immortal or like go home and have to rule and be in charge of things. Yeah, and take care of a big mess, starting with a rotting dragon's head that's just driving everyone out of their minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I so I didn't read this book um, then, but I really enjoyed it now. Um, I feel like we will probably do a whole segment about this, but such strong Lord of the Rings vibes only with a female protagonist. Um, like she is Aragorn yep. in a way. Um, and the scope feels very Lord of the Ringsy, and like the way the lore feels very like mythical and it's very high fantasy. Deep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And the, um, the scope of one single book is so great. Yes. Yeah, I'm really amazed at how much lore and and just like world building is packed into this one book. It is weird that this was written before Hero and the Crown because all the elements are there. Like mm-hmm. Luth and Aaron's relationship yeah. is clearly present, which I feel like I don't know how Robin McKinley wrote them. You know, I don't know what that process was like. Yeah. Um, and I read an interview with her in doing research for the episode where she said that she really feels that um, she's just a vessel for stories that exist. So I am imagining that she had the full okay. outline for she, the okay. entire history of Damar okay. um, before she started writing this book. Yeah, um, that makes sense. There are just such specific details about Aaron's character, um, and they come through super clearly. And uh, I was really impressed by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that makes sense. Um, and I I just really like this book a lot. I th- I should have read it when I was younger because especially the the animal relationships are mm-hmm. just really wonderful and I would have been super into that. Yeah, it's kind of... Aren't the... So the Narknon, her cat buddy, mm-hmm. is a descendant of mm-hmm. the cats that mm-hmm. Aaron ended up bringing. From her army. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, I love the kind of medium-sized cats in this book. And by that, I mean between domestic cats and, like, lions. Right, they're pretty big. Things like that. Um Although I feel like Narknon would get annoying pretty quick, but we'll <laughs> talk about Yeah, because regular-sized cats are already little jerks. Every, so every if they were bigger... The, every time Harry wakes up, having been totally exhausted and been wounded and things like that, and Narknon's just laying across her, I'm like, that sounds horrible. <laughs> I can't have one 10-pound cat on my chest for long before I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I can't breathe. Your purring is like Harry says, vibrating my brain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um. So my old new impressions. I, as a child, I saw this as the inferior book to Hero and the Crown. Mm. Um, because Hero and the Crown just has more elements that are fascinating to me. The biggest one, like the biggest difference between the two books is that Hero and the Crown centers around a dragon Mm. and there ain't no dragons in this book. And Erin is like her row. I know that in this book, um, Harry has to defeat an army, but she has so many more friends. She also has abilities that are rooted in her, um, like in her ethnicity, even like her Mm -hmm. core that emerge and she has this really compelling power that helps her along the way. Erin, it just, she's uh, everything that she gets done is DIY. Erin spends months putting her hand in a candle to see if she (laughs) managed to make the uh, uh, ointment that's going to can it. Yeah. Erin's story is just so much more brutal than Harry's. Yes. It's a lot more violent and it's a good lesson about standing on the shoulders of the people who came before you and them yes. having done the work and now you don't have to do it. Yes. Um, but also Harry has to go between two cultures. Yeah. And she, the thing is, when I was, what I was going to follow up is, as a child I saw it as an inferior book, I found it significantly more compelling rereading it. And mm-hmm. I think there is... A very interesting exploration of 
what what colonialism looks like from the natives perspective yeah i was worried at first that harry was like white savioring mm-hmm. a bit because she is going into the culture of the native people whose land was taken from them and showing them the way like how to fix their problems mm-hmm. but she is mixed race yeah um she is also descended from hill folk because so it makes her sense great grandmother was, was uh, of the hill folk mm-hmm. um and it is part of who she is and we don't so the the outlanders slash homelanders um read very much as like british imperialists yeah to me um, and they have the similar customs. It's like, we have to have our tea and get our muskets. Yeah. <laughs> and like, we must be polite. Um, and there isn't, where there is a problem is that there is a glossing over of like why there, exactly why there are these tensions between the hill folk and the outlanders. Um, Instead of just being more like, they're up in their land stealing it. Yeah, and who knows exactly how all that went down. Right. I'm sure it wasn't just a matter of like, oh, we're going to take this now, yeah. so go to the mountains. Right, yeah, there is probably some uh, atrocities. Mass atrocities, yeah. yeah. Um, and just sad lines about like Harry noticing that when she has seen uh, um, Darian's hill folk mm-hmm. at uh, like the market or whatever, she says they look subdued and a little wary. And it's like, are, yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, yeah. what, do, what do you expect? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, but then, like I was saying at the same time, the, the, the British imperialists, they don't have like, personalities for the most part and Mm -hmm. they are meant to seem like this sad sort of veneer of whiteness kind of felt to me compared to what we learn about the hill folk and about their culture um which gets thoroughly investigated i wish we got more of corlat's point of view actually throughout the story yeah i was Um, into it at the beginning and then it just kind of dropped off yeah yeah that would have been that would have been a really cool choice and i think would have pushed further in the direction of like no robin mckinley is definitely doing this in a really thoughtful way which i think she is yeah i also saw a line from an interview with her where she said that part of her goal in writing this book was to examine what it would be like in a fantasy colonialist setting like this mm. to explore the story from the native's perspective Interesting, um, yeah. instead of, yeah, the, the rulers. Um, and uh, so I was thinking about that a lot more, <laughs> of course, um, because yeah. I really... Because now you're not a child. <laughs> now I'm not a kid and I really didn't know enough to key into that. Um, yeah, we're, we're white. We were raised white children. Yes. Like it was, you know... Histories written by the victors, all yep. that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, so from from that point of view, I thought it was really an interesting read. Mm. Um, and I, uh, the the only area that I do have problems with is that like Sir Charles and Lady Amelia are still presented as like oh yeah, like they mean well, they want right. the good things, and it's like yeah. no, you don't, and the. It, it seems like it hasn't been that long since the land was taken. Mm-hmm. Um, everything still feels very fresh. Um, and yeah, it's just like, it's a, it's a mess and yeah. some horrific things have probably gone down. Mm-hmm. I mean, for sure have gone down. Yeah. Um, but I am more interested in an exploration of that than, no discussion of like what you know what if it was presented as like yeah we just live here and they live there and like that's how it's always been right Mm -hmm. um this is richer yeah no definitely and while there are some some like problems with the execution i think overall it was thoughtfully done yeah yeah no definitely um rob mckinley is a very uh deliberate writer she has and this was her second book that's that's a lot. And that's impressive. Yeah. Um, the only 
the only times I ever had problems with the writing were, like I said, in the beginning where I feel like there's just so much to so much history to lay out on the table. And Mm -hmm. it's through Harry's perspective and she doesn't really know anything about anything. Right. So it's difficult because you're speaking from an uninformed person to an uninformed audience. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about Harry's character, because I think she is part of what makes the book really special because mm-hmm. without well without Harry and also Corlath who is a really cool character yeah I like um, his character a lot I think it could just read like a pretty standard military fantasy type story yeah um so Harry I feel like at first glance could seem like she's maybe going to fall into a Mary Sue type problem where everything's just really easy and she's perfect mm. and she just sails through Um, but because that's all couched in her having, first of all, never really belonged anywhere Yeah, because she, her actual, um, ethnicity and family history has been hidden from her. Yeah. Um, she seems to know very little about anything. And I think part of this is just emblematic of being a young woman in that era who isn't useful because she's like she's not, not mar- being marriageable. paid attention to she's not marriageable like she hasn't been properly groomed mm-hmm. to like be a woman so she's just kind of doing her own thing and like the society doesn't have a use for her and she says that her mom tried once she reached a certain age her mom brought her in from outside where she was constantly roaming around and getting into adventures and tried to make her learn some of the things she needed to know to be a lady. Mm -hmm. Um, But her mother also said she agreed with her that she'd rather be riding horses and (laughs) picking apples any day. And then her mom dies. Um, So she doesn't of an illness. Um, So she, that relationship gets cut off. And then her dad says to her at the time, her dad seems (laughs) very, I don't know, uninterested. Yeah. Um, that all of the inheritance is given to her brothers, so she's going to get nothing. Yeah. And then he's Cool. Says, Thanks, Dad. Yeah. You'll probably dislike being uh, the, the what, what's the phrase that he uses? Like, I don't remember. Him being responsible for you less than me being responsible for you. And just, you can tell that he's like oh, a headstrong woman. Yeah. Get Gross. out of my sight. Gross. Um, and her brother doesn't really know what to do with her. Yeah. And even after she goes to Istan, she's like, she just like rides a pony and talks to the other girls. And her brother is kind of an idiot. Yeah, I think that he is. I think he's also just like kind of clueless and he's trying to do what's right. And Right. I don't think he's He malicious. does bring his sister in. I yeah. mean, something much worse could have happened to no, Harry. No, for sure. I just think he's kind of like... a not he doesn't have a lot going on no he doesn't and at <sighs> one point that when the other soldiers are talking about him they say that he's stiff with politeness <laughs> it's like yeah that sounds about he's right. boring he's very british in the way that these british folks are kind of categorized british seeming folks um british coded british coded <laughs> Uh, and Harry also, um, physically she doesn't fit because she's very tall. Mm -hmm. Um, she has golden hair and light eyes, Yeah, which is also different from, I think they say the like dark haired and olive skinned folks that are the Darians that are living in Istan. Mm. Right. I think so. Yeah. Um, And she is always talking about how she feels restless and her brain is always very active and she sees things in smoke and she has this anger that can rise in her and be completely all consuming. And there's all the classic hints of like, you have magic that you haven't been trained how to use. And also in an interesting way, the magic is like a collective cultural consciousness, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. I like that. And Korlath actually experiences his Kellar in a lot of similar ways Mm -hmm. where he also has an anger that rises in him and he's irritated by the fact that he has these visions and his gift kind of makes sense that they'd be angry. They have a lot to be angry about. No, for sure. Um, But I mean, the experience of anger is akin to, the experience of magic. Yeah. Um, like it's um, emotion driven for mm-hmm. both of them. Yeah. Um, and that's why Harry can do something so significant, like pulling a mountain down when she 
is at her most furious. And yeah. when she's angry too, she heals the wounded soldiers and Mathen um, and prevents them from dying after the battle. Yeah. So, you know, anger doesn't have to be a bad thing. And Harry also, I, I find her really relatable. Um, I do, it doesn't constantly have to be a comparison, but I do find Aaron more relatable because, and this comes down to, it actually reminded me of two of our favorite Tamara Pierce heroines, um, kind of the Alana versus Kel situation mm, okay. where Kel is Aaron and Harry is Alana okay. because they have the magic within them. They have the guidance. They have the uh, moments of awakening where it's like, hey, I can do this really difficult thing that takes right. most people their entire lifetimes to learn. Yeah. Like the fact that Harry learns how to be one of the best warriors in six weeks yeah. in the desert. Instead of like having to do the groundwork. Yep. And the way Kel does um, and Aaron too, where they are both the first ones to try to become female warriors for yeah. Kel in, in a sanctioned way, because Alana pretend she gender swapped, you know, she pretended right. to be a woman. So Kel is actually doing it as a woman. So Alana's was like, she was hiding the fact that mm -hmm. she was a woman, which is a whole different kind of struggle, but like she didn't have to be a woman in a male dominated right. um, place, at least outwardly, which both Aaron and Kel do mm -hmm. um, to uh, different degrees of success. And Aaron, of course, has her own magic and she does have these like bigger, more powerful figures helping her like Luth and stuff. Um, but I, I mean, I like reading about both types of characters mm -hmm. and I appreciate Harry's wit and her willingness to be weird among other members of society yeah, and that like at these tedious parties from the start of the book after she's gone to Istan, uh, she's like seeking out the general to talk to him ab about whether he also loves the desert as much as she does. Yeah. Like, talking <laughs> about smoking cigars and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I appreciate her also being, uh, being so willing to, embrace the hill folks culture yeah um which is her own but she doesn't know that um, right and uh she is very open to learning and she also um shares some specific traits with me like we both love deserts for reasons that we don't fully understand grace does love deserts um, the first the first time i went to a desert as an adult which was only a few years ago and i went to tucson I was like, Grace was entranced when she came back. Which like kept talking about it, and I was like, mm, yeah, it right. just feels so bizarre and so right. I mean, I could never live in a desert because I don't believe that it makes sense to transport the resources needed to live there to that space. Um, but uh, I'll keep visiting. Yeah. But anyway, I really love that game that Harry plays with herself to try to keep herself mentally stimulated mm -hmm. of trying to figure out who that lives there is actually embracing the land and loves the desert climate. And I feel like that is a shortcut to the ones who are interested in the culture of the people whose land they've taken. Yeah. Um, because they're the same ones who end up going and being with the hill folk mm -hmm. and yeah, deserting from the army like Jack. Yeah. Um, so uh, I thought that that was handled really well. Yeah, no, definitely. What do you like about Harry? Um, I mean, she does have uh, an easier time than you might expect from the hero in one of these stories. Like there's less adversity for her. Um, but I mean, I like that she's very go with the flow. <laughs> she is. But she adapts. I think that's important. Otherwise, uh, like things just wouldn't work out this way if she weren't so adaptive to her situation. Like when she wakes up after having been kidnapped and she like just looks up at her captor and she's like, I like, don't, don't throw me on the horse. Don't drug me. Like, I just want to, you know, <laughs> I just yeah, want to be here. A horse. Yeah. Fine. Like I'm not, I'll come with, just don't, don't drug me again. Um, and she, and saying, uh, 
you know, no, I'm not going to take a bath while these male servants tend to me. Yeah. Even if Mm -hmm. that is an honor, like this isn't how things are going to work. Yeah. Even though she's in a really frightening situation, Mm -hmm. um, she does retain her honor and everyone's always impressed by her and being like, oh, she carries herself with honor. She does (laughs) self-honor on this trip. Yeah. Um, And I, I mean, I did. I just kept thinking of like how much harder a row to hoe Aaron had than Mm -hmm. uh, Harry ever has. But because Harry's put into this situation, whereas Aaron creates the situation. Um, Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't get in the night taken by someone who turns out to be the one who can hold the answers to all her secrets and right. her power and mm-hmm. marry her. <laughs> right. Just... Yeah, no. Aaron is just fumbling in the dark in a very real painful way, gets like horribly injured and mutilated multiple times and like she she is a, a trailblazer whereas Harry is pulled into the mythology that yeah. Aaron is a part of. Harry's really fated mm-hmm. to do this. Yeah. Um, which, you know, and like destiny has its place in fantasy for sure. Mm-hmm. And like I said, even though she is one of those types of characters, I still think Harry is compelling and relatable. Oh, yeah. No, for um, sure. So I think that's yeah, I don't Robin think she's McKinley not wrote her the right way, mm-hmm. even yeah. though most of what she she doesn't necessarily earn a lot of what she ends up getting like what she receives um but i'm still but she does handle it well she handles it well so i'm interested in seeing watching that process and watching everything unfold yeah yeah no i they're just they're just different kinds of stories Mm -hmm. that's what it is and i also felt like at, at some points that this story felt almost more like a fable or a fairy tale um where things as compared to a more concrete like like a contemporary fantasy narrative yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. um because things are going to happen in a set series of steps Mm -hmm. um as compared to something that is more dynamic where it's it's less certain like harry is always going to be she's always going to always going to prevail Mm -hmm. and that's why i think we uh we're reminded of Aragorn because they, both of them are, they have this in their blood. They are destined to be the one who is going to unite forces yeah. and bring them together and rise up against a common enemy who mm-hmm. also has some weird <laughs> processes going on for how they're building their armies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, save the day and yeah. be the shining example that everyone needs. Mm-hmm. And I love getting Return of the King with a female Aragorn. Yeah, it's and pretty great. The blue sword. So it's I'm, pretty great. I'm As definitely that. not complaining. But yeah. yeah, it has a lot of those classic tropes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we talk about animals? Animals in this book. Just like animals in this book. So I love Narcanon. <laughs> really love Narcanon. I was like, oh my God, this cat was written for oh Madeline. Oh my God. And if I had read this when I was a, a youngin, I would have like totally latched on to Narcanon and that would have been a recurring like part of my own fantasy imaginings. Um, I've been having kind of a perverse joy in going on Goodreads for the books that we cover and looking at the one star reviews for them. Um, and there was, just because I'm like, why? How do you not take any joy or wonder yeah. from this book? Yeah. Because, and not to say like, yeah, we only cover amazing books. So everyone should just bow down in front of their glory <laughs> because we're tastemakers. <laughs> but we do cover books that are really important to us and to a lot of other people. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they are compelling. Yeah, they have do compelling value. Books. Um, so whenever I see the one star reviews, I'm just like, oh, somebody's grumpy yeah, today. Somebody's got ants in their pants. And there was a really funny one for the hero in the sword, um, where she was basically just the ranting. blue sword. I'm sorry. <laughs> there was a really funny one for the blue sword because she was basically just ranting about how Harry gets everything handed to her and everything is perfect. And then there was one line that was like, she has a special horse and she has a special cat and she has a special <laughs> sword. <laughs> How dare she have a special cat? <laughs> she has a special cat and she has a special horse. Yeah. Which is true, but also the 
horses in this book are like demigods in yeah. their own right, kind of similar to the companions from Arrows right. Queen in our last episode. Yeah. Um, because they're huge and they're mighty and they can talk to you through your mind. Right. Like they're <laughs> mystical. Yeah. And Sornin, a.k.a. Sun Gold, is also a wonderful creature in this book and gets really like into the same frenzies that Harry does, which is so amazing. Yeah. And reminded me of Talat, Aaron's horse, oh, who is right. the greatest horse character yeah. I've ever read. He has oh, full art. Yeah, I love Talat. Um, but more about Narknod. <laughs> uh, I really just love that Narknod just like wanders off with uh, Harry and uh, people when they come back. That people are like, "There's that dang cat!" <laughs> like, and Narknod's just like, "Man, like I go where I want." <laughs> yeah, I get that. Technically, Narknod's um, purpose with the group with the writers is to help hunt, mm-hmm. um, but also. How do you really use a hunting cat? How do you get them to do what you want them to do? I mean, <laughs> it, it seems it, like it would be a lot of just following them around and hoping that they feel like it. I think that part of the whole deal here uh, is that they are the descendants of those special cats that Aaron sure. ended up with that like are dog-like in that they actually like want to help humans instead of just tolerating them. For sure. It's just yeah. funny because there's a reason why... In human history, we haven't been able to like <laughs> because cats don't use care. Work cats, yeah. Um, of course, there are cats that mouse and things like that, but they're just doing that on their own. Right. Time. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. put a cat in a barn filled with mice, and they're going to have a grand old time. <laughs> well, most doing it some for you. cats. Well, most cats. <laughs> <laughs> like there's some definitely cats had that some would just be like cats <laughs> that we grew up with. Like yeah. one of our mom's cats, who's just like, oh god, <laughs> yeah. and waits for the uh, resident hunter to take care of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And Narknon allows Harry to uh, eat well, even when uh, they're in lean times. Yeah, like Narknon does bring her food. So Brings a quail and pheasant. Clearly not a cat of our reality. The uh, evil magician's horse was really scary. Yeah, Thera's standard bearer's horse or mm-hmm. whatever. I don't yeah. Know, I understand who it was. Yeah, um, it was like it like breathed fire it was and like pure white and was like red horrifying. Yeah, demon like horse. A, truly a monster. Yeah. I, Robin McKinley clearly loves horses yeah. so much. Mm-hmm. And I love when we have covered enough books by an author on this podcast and discussed them enough to start realizing some of the running threads of passion, like Tamara Pierce with fashion, for example. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Diana Wynne Jones with food mm. and Robin McKinley with horses. Yeah. Um, and the bio at the back of the book said that she, at least whenever this was published, that she currently lived on a horse farm. Um, oh. So it, it is like fully okay. her life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. Interesting. Is amazing. I'm happy for her. Yeah. Because clearly that would make her very happy. I've never been a horse person no. and neither of you. <laughs> We've discussed this before, but I can appreciate these horse characters. Yeah, no, for sure. I can always appreciate an animal character. Like, and I don't dislike horses. I've just never. Um, We're not horse girls. Yeah, I've never bonded with horses. We've already talked a bit about the magic systems present in this book, but I think they're pretty unique and also tied into the presiding cultures in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the main magic is the Kellar, which some members of the Hill Folk have. It's something that is just running in their blood. They refer to it as being blood born a few times um, yeah. because it's inherited, I think. Um, but Corleth also mentions that it can suddenly awaken. And he says yeah. like a few drops of hill blood can cause it to bloom at some point in their life. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And it presents in different ways. Some people have visions. Um, someone like Corlath, who is so brimming with Kellar that he like dazzles when you look at him, um, has a different type of Kellar experience where like it's similar to his like what we talked about with anger being connected to magic and it rises in him when he's feeling the anger, but he also resents it because he is getting the visions Mm -hmm. and he's kind of a broody guy. Corlath is 
a strange character, but I really like him. I really like him too, but yeah, he's definitely not like a Prince Charming. And his... He's very pissy and broody sometimes. His strangeness is what makes me... I had my issues with his and Harry's relationship, but his strangeness makes it make more sense to me because they are odd in the same ways. They do seem very suited to one another, not just because they're both the presiding heroes. And the reason that I was uncomfortable with their falling in love is because he's her captor. Mm -hmm. And there were just some like Stockholm type elements at different moments. But but she's, she's she's also it's like hard to even say that she's kidnapped because right, first of all yeah. she's uh she is she has hellfolk blood second of all she's already on their stolen lands and right. third of all her coming into this group of riders awakens who she truly right. is it's, so that she and can he get in touch with it. it and there's like absolutely no element of badness of of his capture of her because like his magic like deity ish senses told him that he needed to bring her with them and she was always treated with incredible respect yeah even though he never explains any of this to anyone so the other writers are like okay i guess we're kidnapping blonde girls now (laughs) yeah great yeah this isn't exactly why i wanted to become a king's um but uh, yeah, the Kellar rings true, and that's what—that's mm-hmm. how he knows that it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and the the so the uh, the Homelanders don't have magic. They also can't use their modern weaponry in the presence of the type of magic that the Hellfolk have, which again is Garth Nixie. It is, yeah, yeah which happens in the Old Kingdom versus um, Ancelstier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is this interesting connection where the, you know, the conquerors, the colonializers are non-magical and the native folk are, mm-hmm. and there is an attitude of, uh, like a fascination and sort of, uh, but, but also rejection among mm-hmm. the outlanders slash homelanders toward the magic. Yeah. Like, at the beginning of the well, story. Well, because they don't get it. Right, they don't get it, but they're also, like, not interested in getting it. It's it, it it's kind of like Savage's magic to them. Yeah, that's that's what I was yeah, trying yeah. to get at, that it's seen as, like... Low. Low, and it's, like, the stuff of folk tales. Right. Um, and uh, I thought that that attitude made sense in that kind yeah, of... Absolutely. Society and with those two neighboring uh, uh, communities, that, mm-hmm. that that is probably what would happen. Um, and uh, it's, but it also leads to uh, the uh, uh, folks of Istan basically ignoring the magical war that's brewing. Um, yeah. Like they. Which was a, a bad call. Yeah. What the heck? It's, it's also, I can't help but be a little interested in what would have happened if Korlath was like, I'm not going to deal with this. We're just going to. We're just going to go somewhere else. We're going to abandon the city. We're going to yeah, leave. Yeah, then they would have been annihilated. Just everyone is murdered. <laughs> yeah. Like that. And, and that's that's kind of the irritating part of just how clueless the Outlanders are. They yeah. just, like, they never... Sir Charles doesn't say, like, thanks for taking care of that. or like, Yeah, thanks hey, for making sure we all didn't brutally die. Hey, you were right. And, like, maybe I should have respected you and not demanded that you submit to my rule yeah. if we're going to work together. Um, yeah, so that that was irritating. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the thread of the book that didn't get wrapped up in a way that... Yeah, like. yeah. Are there any other books in this series? No. No. I didn't think so. Yeah, it's this and Hero in the Crown. And that was actually something I wanted to talk about. Like, if Robin McKinley were to write another Daria Damar book, mm-hmm. what would you like it to focus on? Because I have my answer. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um... <laughs> you know what would be really fun is a book completely from Luth's perspective. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> the life of Luth. The life of Luth. That is what of I want. Course, of Every course. time he shows up, 
I just love him. I want to know what's I, I going know. on. He's a really fun, awesome character. And of course, we're both just like, more Luth. Luth, Luth, Luth. <laughs> He's basically like a vampire. Yeah. Um, and in yeah. that he is, he exists and he will and he has. And people can, he's an oracle vampire because he's not preying on anyone. Um, but there's also like being in his space does strange things to you and he can read your thoughts and he can and possibly see what's going to happen to you. It does strange things for him too. does strange things for him too. Yeah. It's not entirely pleasurable. Um, and he's, so that's why he's living on his lake in the mountains. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just, I'd love to learn more about his backstory. More loose, please. He clearly is, because they also talk in this book about him having the old Kellar um, and how yeah. he is of a different sort of, not not even generation, like a different existence of the world. He feels yeah, like he's, he's fundamental, like he's of the initial he's stuff. He's like an Eastari or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I just like to get some of that. I want like Luth's Sim- Silmarillion. <laughs> just like oh my God. the full background. Um, yes. Uh, punctuated with, I mean, I'm sure he's had a lot of romances if we uh, think about it. Although, of course, Aaron is the best. Although he does seem like romance averse. Probably yeah, because but it's his... so natural with him and Aaron. I, their right, love but that's, story I think that's is like one of my favorite Because it's ones. very special. I want to know more about his relationships, I should say. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that would, that would be my pick. I wish there was another book. Um, I uh, figured when I was young that I just wasn't finding it, but that there would be more to the series because there's so much opportunity. If it weren't about Luth, um, what about the hundreds of years between Aaron and Harry? Like there's a lot that went down because there isn't any kind of colonialist threat in hero and the crown and then that changes that's what i was gonna say at first um, but then i wondered a bit i was like oh but what about luth <laughs> yeah no luth's definitely my first choice or more about the dragons um it would be really yeah cool because the dragons are some powerful evil magic and what's um, the name of the dragon in hero and the crown marg <laughs> more laugh <laughs> Margan Mer Mauer. Was close. You were really close. <laughs> Morg. I'm really impressed. Um, yeah, which sounds. Uh, yeah, strange. no, the dragons are really interesting because they're basically like evil gods. <laughs> yeah, and I'd love some dragon exploration. Yeah, that would be interesting. I I like the Damar of Hero in the Crown more than the Damar of the Blue Sword do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it hasn't been intruded upon yet yeah. by these British imperialists, yeah. and they don't need them. They definitely don't. Don't need them. Does anyone? <laughs> so that said, all that said, let's talk about pretend food. Malik. Malik, 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 Malik. Malik yeah, Malik. did we end up pronouncing it Malak? Yeah. I, I don't, it's the, it's the... F- Coffee that's better than coffee. Chocolate coffee wine. (laughs) Chocolate coffee wine. It's the drink we all want. It's what we crave. It runs through my veins. I wish it did. Malak. Um, Malak. Malak. Yeah. I knew that Malak was going to be there and it was such a fun little line. Technically, this is its introduction because this yeah. was written before Hero in the Crown. But when it showed up, it's the same as, I don't know, it was like watching a Marvel movie and having a <laughs> surprise character appearance. It's like, yeah, <laughs> Malik Easter egg. Um, and of course, Harry learns to love it while she's with the writers. Yeah, it sounds like anyone would love it. The uh, other big food that so there's a lot of travel in the book. So there's a lot um, of travel food. Yeah, a lot of travel food and things that aren't necessarily going to be like super sumptuous or exciting. But I also like learning about the questing travel type food. Yeah, I love it when books. they put that stuff in there. Um, because when the author is being thoughtful about it, there can be some really fun, uh, uh, you know, highly portable, uh, save, uh, non-perishable foods. Yeah, that are like culturally related and teach you more about the people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they have a porridge every morning, the writers, um, and the porridge is how Harry and Narknon develop a closer relationship. Yes, because Narknon eats the porridge. Narknon loves the porridge and in fact brings Harry meat to eat and then is like, mm, give me the porridge. <laughs> 
I don't want them eating weird little um, cat. It's a strange choice for a cat to love porridge. I figure it must be like full of butter, and that's yeah, why the cat sure. wants it. It's the butter. Just give the, the give Nargnon butter. And Harry mentions that they also sometimes fry the porridge into little cakes, which sounds yum. Incredible. That sounds super, super good. Yep, she grew fond of the porridge. Sometimes they made it into little flat cakes and fried them and put honey over them. The honey was made from flowers she had never seen nor smelled. The rich, exotic fragrance of it set her dreaming. Ugh. Holy cow. Wow. I'm going to go make a porridge cake right now, but it's not going to be as good. (laughs) If I tried to do that, it would be a disaster. (laughs) Just turn into like scrambled, burnt oatmeal in a pan. (laughs) This was the other little cake thing that I liked. And this is a tradition that I want to introduce into current. Oh, I know what you're going to talk about. Um, So this is at Corlath and Harry's marriage. People were hanging from windows and balconies and clinging to the stark mountainside where there was not purchase for a bird's claws and lining the walls and crowded into the courtyard itself till there was barely space for the king and queen to walk from the palace door to the courtyard gate where they waved and smiled and threw kaftpa, the traditional small cakes that were good luck for anyone who could catch one and eat it. And they threw armfuls and armfuls of them that anyone who wanted one might have one. And everyone wanted one. <laughs> They're just like whipping these tiny cakes at people. And also it must, to have enough for all those people, they must be- I know, just like bushels of tiny cakes that they're throwing at the crowd. I want them. I want them very much. Yeah, we got married, but we got to go throw cakes at people for a couple hours and then we can move on to the next step of the ceremony. Um, Yeah, I want some kaftpa and that just sounds like so much fun. It really reminded me of being a kid at parades when they were allowed to throw candy. I remember that this changed. I don't know if this was just like a Chicago area thing to not allow it any longer because kids were getting getting nailed, run over and stuff. There were kids like trying to go under cars and things like that at the parades. Um, no, no, yeah, did, it wasn't about the candy as projectiles. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were some parades where, like, if it was, you know, a team hit by Jolly Ranchers or something, yeah. <laughs> I do remember getting hit by candy a few yeah. times. But what's better than being hit by a piece of candy? Know, yeah. If you have to be hit by something, that's what I would choose. If you have to be. I don't know. Let us know if you remember parades from your youth where candy was thrown at you. Or ones where the practice was no longer allowed. <laughs> or you weren't allowed to do that. Um, yeah, so the calf pie was really into it as well, but mainly Malak. There's a lot of great tea. We've been reading some excellent tea books yeah, lately. I made me have tea um, and uh, or, a lot of beverages. The orange, the titular orange juice that we open on Harry drinking grumpily, which goes into an extended discussion of how now she's somewhere where there are orange groves and how she should appreciate that, but that she's still just like, mm, I don't really like it here, even <laughs> though I get orange juice. Fresh squeezed, baby. <laughs> um, and there's also different liqueurs that yeah. are given to her during their brutal uh, rides uh, to help wake her up. And yeah. also, Mathen drugs her food <laughs> so, um, to try to keep her alert. Um, mm-hmm. And I get that those six weeks of training are really grueling and you probably need some assistance, but like, tell me before you Yeah, quit. right. Like, just tell me that you're putting drugs in my food. Before you put cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be awesome. Um, and then afterwards, she's so exhausted from all that drugged, dried meat yeah. that she has to just sleep and sleep and sleep. Crash mad hard. There's a lot of good sleeping in this book. Also some insomnia. I mean, I fall on both sides of that camp, so. Sleep is good. <laughs> Says you. I'm doing fine with very little, okay? (laughs) That's just my life. Let's do our badass lady meter. You want to go first? There's so many good ladies. Sure, I'll go first. Um, I really appreciated that. Robin McKinley always has excellent female protagonists. I don't think she's written a book that didn't have, that had a male protagonist. I don't know. um, That I've read, at least. And Harry falls right in with the others. Um, 
there, but there, at the same time, there are also other female leaders and warriors, which, as I mentioned, I really appreciated that it wasn't just like, Harry's the only one because she's special. So a woman can do it because right. she has the magic. Right. There yeah. are other women There's at other the Lapron trials women. Yeah. who are interested in becoming warriors, possibly, you know, becoming a writer maybe one day. Mm-hmm. I love that Harry's only writer is Jack. Yeah. Queen's writer yeah. I appreciated that mm-hmm. um, another great character Jack who we didn't yeah. really talk about very much but he's on the side of the colonizers yeah. so I just so. don't really care yeah. um, the Kentar the mysterious forest archers are fascinating to me yeah. I feel like that's the race that I would want to be a part of the Mirkwood elves exactly the Mirkwood <laughs> elves yeah. I want to just glide gracefully and invisibly yeah. through trees only to Lisa dangerous arrow on my enemies um so i love all those ladies but yeah i have to i mean i have to give it to harry i i can't i know who you're gonna choose um (laughs) 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 so i'll represent harry um and uh my rating for her is being the tall girl Oh, oh, that's really cute. You don't know what we are like physically, Madeline and I, because you've never seen us. But I am also a tall girl, and I spent a lot of time feeling anxious about it. As and you a kid. grew early too, yes, so you were I tall, was tall from, from a, a young, young age. age. Yep. Yeah. So I relate to Harry constantly being characterized as yeah. too tall, mm-hmm. <laughs> too yeah. tall to marry. That's what I always say. My badass lady is Narknon. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. And I rate Narknon choosing buttery porridge over meat. <laughs> also a trait that you share. Yeah. I think that's something yeah. that you can really relate oh, yeah. to. Definitely. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I think that's it for our blue sword Yay. discussion. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We forgot to do the appreciation to the listener who requested this who was requested by multiple listeners um the first was instagrammer aspera jd and most recent was turkula who requested in a review if you rate and review us on apple podcasts and request a book in your review maybe it'll be more likely to get covered who knows (laughs) incentives yeah. Cruel incentives. Cruel? How are they cruel? It's not, it's not hard to write a review. It's not cruel. Don't worry. Um, and to, uh, we will also announce right now our next book, as we like to do at the very end, to reward those who have stayed with us all the way through our Hour Plus ramblings. Our book next is Treasure at the Heart of the Tanglewood. By Meredith Ann Pierce. Yes. Stay tuned. We're trying to get back on a better schedule. Technically, we did release two episodes this month one the first day of the month, and one the last day. Of the month. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's actually my birthday. The day we'll be releasing this. So. Happy, birthday Happy birthday to Grace. To um, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to make a request, send us some feedback. Let we love all the feedback doing. that we get. It always makes us happy. It does. Tell us about those parades that you went to. We can be emailed at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at dragonbabiespod, Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, or you can just visit our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, and submit a comment or a contact form. Dot com. Thank you so much, everyone. We really appreciate you. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>